Hey friends, I'm Casey Kasem and this is my podcast, Get Real. It's a podcast taking a look behind the scenes of the fantasy football industry through interviews with some of your favorite content creators. On this episode, Dave Kluge stops by to talk about his work with football guys, being kicked out of his first fantasy football league, his fandom for smoking Jay Cutler, Colorado living, the many pronunciations of his last name, mental health, and much more. Follow Dave on Twitter at Dave Kluge. You can follow me on Twitter at Kasem, as well as the podcast at GetReal underscore pod. This podcast is a proud member of the DAP Network. Again, I wanted to thank ConnectGo for providing this awesome microphone via a contest at the Fantasy Football Expo. Go follow ConnectGo on Twitter at FantasyGoNFL. Okay, y'all, now for my chat with Dave Kluge. Yeah, I, don't, I, I don't need the wind cornhole that bad. No, no, no. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Well, anyway, thank you so much for having me on. I'm oh, no. honored. I have seen some big names come through this show, so I'm very excited to be a part of this. Well, I'm ha- happy that you were like, yeah, for sure. Because, you know, <laughs> I haven't done one of these in a while. I mean, I, I've done one since I came, since we've been back from Canton. So, I mean, I really haven't put anything out because I was just like, okay, I need to like recharge my batteries and kind of like get my head back in the game before I decide to put on anything else. So you get to be the 61st episode. Yay. So exciting. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah I, I need to do that. Take a break. And I've got that planned for this spring because I got into content creation, like the off season, like the 2020 off season. So before mm-hmm. the season started, that's when I started doing NFL stuff and I have not taken a break since. I mean, I've been going nonstop pedal to the metal since the summer of 2020 and it's just like as soon as the season ends then it's like all right now we're in dynasty mode and time to start looking forward to next season and all that and and i talked with joe and i was just like you know i am going to hawaii next march and i am just unplugging for a full month nobody will be able to reach me i won't be tweeting i just need some time (laughs) off (laughs) (laughs) i've had joe on here yeah he's a great guy it's like everybody over there is so awesome and i know you're a part and you know, we haven't officially started the podcast. I usually like start it rolling just so that it feels, you know, more yeah. personal Natural. when we can just flow into it. But, you know, mm-hmm. you're with football guys, which we'll get to. But like being a part of a brand that's like that big and has that many great analysts and writers, how does it feel to be a part of a group like that? I mean, it, it's a dream come true for me. Um, that's exactly where I wanted to work when I got into the industry. Uh, you know, I was still working at the time and I started creating content a few years ago, but it was always an after work part-time gig where I was, you know, just doing game reports and injury reports and whatnot in the evenings. And then when I decided, you know, I think I could make this a, a legitimate thing where I can turn this into a full-time job and into a career. I had three companies written down that I wanted to work for and it was ESPN, NFL Network, which were pretty gaudy and audacious goals that I really wanted to. But the third company that was on the list was Football Guys. I've been a Football Guys member and been consuming their content since I was in high school. Joe hates when I say that because it makes <laughs> me feel really old. But literally since I was in high school, that's when I started using Football Guys. So, um, you know, I, I had Joe on my show and we connected and, and getting to work with them and getting to work for them is a literal dream. It still feels surreal. I bet. I mean, that, that's so awesome. So, I'm going to go back now. We're going to like really get started. Here we go with the hard hitting questions. But now um, <laughs> I, I just because this podcast looks at all different facets of your life and, you know, not just fantasy football, obviously. So when you were growing up, let's go back to to that time. And what was your relationship like with sports? Were you into playing sports, watching sports? What was that like? 
Yeah, I, I played sports nonstop growing up. You know, this first sport, like just about every kid in the Midwest as I got into it playing uh, t-ball and couldn't stand t-ball. I hated the uniforms, hated playing baseball. You know, I got stuck out in the outfield in t-ball where there's absolutely nothing going on. You're just sitting out there waiting for a ball to come your way, which never actually does. So hated baseball. And then it seemed like everybody after that went into soccer and I never really had much of an appeal uh, to, to play soccer. And then football is what I wanted to get into. And my mom was terrified and I was in second grade and I was begging my mom to let me play football. And my parents at the time were, were going through a separation and, uh, you know, my dad was kind of out of the picture and my mom being a single mother was just terrified. She didn't want me playing football at all. And then somehow I ended up twisting her arm and she let me join my first pop Warner league when I was in third grade. And I just completely fell in love. That was the first sport that ever really resonated with me. I got to play quarterback, but quarterback for a Pop Warner, you know, third grade team isn't really saying all too much. That basically meant that I was the fastest kid on the field, but I uh, just fell in love with playing football then. And then after that, I started playing basketball when I was in fifth grade. And, um, you know, I, we, we didn't get a chance to meet each other, but I think we crossed paths a couple of times. I'm, I'm an average height guy, you know, about 5'10", but I've been this height since sixth grade. So when I started playing basketball at five foot ten in sixth grade, I was a giant. So I yeah. uh, started playing basketball at that age. Um, the next year, I started playing volleyball. By the time I got into high school, then I was a three-sport athlete. So I was playing uh, football. I was playing uh, uh, volleyball. I wasn't playing basketball in high school. So football, volleyball, and track were my three sports in high school. Um, quit playing football after my sophomore year, but I played volleyball all throughout high school. That was my my main love and, and had a lot of fun doing that. Um, you know, still didn't have the height, but I had the jumps and I was the only lefty on the team. So I got to play right side and, and crush those front row hits on the right corner. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. You still play volleyball? I do. Yeah. Not nearly as much now living in Colorado. There isn't much of a volleyball scene here, <laughs> but no? when I lived in Chicago, um, my wife and I, we were living in Lincoln park. We were just a few blocks away from North Avenue beach at the time. So I was in, uh, you know, during the summer, spring and fall, I was doing outdoor beach leagues and I was playing, uh, you know, a couple times a week and then I would play indoor during the winter. But ever since moving out to Colorado, uh, you know, still stay active, a lot of recreational outdoor activities, but not nearly as much volleyball. Now it's more hiking, kayaking, rock climbing, all that sort of stuff. And I see the I see the helmet behind you, but who is your team and were they always your team? Yes, uh, born and raised a Bears fan. Uh, never even had a choice in the matter. Um, when my mom and dad got married, my grandpa walked my mom down the aisle. And as he handed my mom off, he whispered in my dad's ear. He said, remember, Sundays are for football. I mean, it was never a choice. I, I, I had to be a Bears fan growing up. And then uh, my dad had season tickets. So we went to a bunch of games growing up. And then, um, you know, it, I, I've just been a Bears fan my entire life. I don't think anybody chooses to be a Bears fan. You're, you're born into that. You're born. Wait, you chose your favorite player. So who's your favorite player, past, present, and whatever, on the Bears? Um, we this helmet right behind me is, is signed by Jake <laughs> Cutler. Yeah, I, I love Jake Cutler. Yeah. I can go on a whole spiel. I know we don't get too much into football on this show, but I just think that Jake Cutler was one of the most talented quarterbacks in the league. Um, you know, 23 years old, putting up just incredible numbers in Denver. And then the Bears sold the farm for him and they traded for Jake mm -hmm. Cutler. And it was kind of this unique situation where a young and rising quarterback was on the trade market because of Josh McDaniels going into Denver and them having clashing egos. 
And I think what happened is that the Bears expected Jay Cutler to just show up and, you know, be the second coming of John Elway and just win all these championships. They put him behind a terrible offensive line. His first year there, his wide receiver one was Devin Hester, who wasn't even a wide receiver at the time. Took 87 sacks in his first two years. And you just saw from there, it it was just, you know, a tailspin. Every single year, he just seemed to take a step back, starts throwing off his back foot, starts rushing through his reads, starts forcing the ball to Brandon Marshall. And you just saw it every single year. You know, this young, promising, gunslinging quarterback just regressing back to the same problems that, you know, kind of kept him under the radar in college. So I, uh, I will die on that hill that I think Jay Cutler could have been an all-time great had the Bears not ruined him. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he was fun to watch, and I definitely will say that. I really enjoyed having him on my fantasy teams because when he actually, you know, those games, he was one of those, you know, what you're getting from him kind of guys. Yeah. So. And he, he played with a lot of heart, too, and yeah. he's got this face that I think people really hated. You know, he always just like his mouth is just kind of naturally in like this pouting position <laughs> where he just looks like he's got this sourpuss face all the time. But when you see him on the field – he played with so much heart. I mean, there weren't a lot of quarterbacks that were willing to drop a shoulder and run through a guy to pick up a first down or completely lay out to knock out the pile on and get a touchdown. And Jay yeah. Cutler did that regularly. So, um, but they'd always cut to him on the sidelines and, you know, the team would be down a score and you want to see a quarterback fired up like Tom Brady, you know, smashing tablets on the sidelines and punching <laughs> his players in the chest. And instead you see Jay Cutler with his arms crossed pouting. And I think that that just kind of turned the whole fan base against him. And the whole smoking Joe, you know, or, you know, I don't know why I just called him Joe, but <laughs> yeah, the, old, you know, uh, the old camel uh, ad, smoking, you know, Joe, yep. smoking Joe, that's exactly what I'm thinking. I forgot that whole picture. No, but the memes for smoking mm-hmm. Jay, uh, what are your thoughts when it comes to that? Again, it's just his face. He's got this memeable <laughs> face where, uh, you know, there, there's a story about somebody coming up to him when he was in college that. And, and again, this is probably an urban legend. I don't know what truth there is to it, but somebody said that they walked up to him and he was, you know, going to the bathroom and somebody takes the urinal next to him and goes, Hey, Jay Cutler, you know, I'm one of your biggest fans. I've been watching you since college. And apparently he just goes, I don't care. And that just <laughs> kind of embodies his personality. So, yeah. you know, he just has this face that just worked perfectly. He just put a cigarette in his mouth and uh, on Photoshop and, and it, and it works. Uh, they, they, they make me laugh. Um, I just got a new laptop a week ago and I have a picture from our honeymoon on that laptop. But up until I just got this laptop last week, my background was actually a picture of, of smoking Jay. <laughs> I love that. That's great. How did you, how did you feel when he moved on to Miami and that whole experiment that was going on there? Yeah. At that time, the damage was done. I didn't think that yeah. he was going to suddenly rewind the clock after, you know, seven or eight years of abuse in Chicago and, uh, you know, didn't really get much of a, I don't even think he played a full season there. I think he only played about half the year um, in Miami, but yeah, kind of, kind of figured that was the end of the road for him. <laughs> so when did you first stumble across fantasy football and how did that happen? So fantasy football has been in my life for as long as I can remember. Um, you know, it's, well, I'm sure we can get into it at some point if you want to. I keep saying my dad, when I say my dad, that's my mom's first husband who kind of raised me. He was big into fantasy football and he was the commissioner for his fantasy football league. And this was before computers. So, you know, he would be writing down every single morning, everybody in his league would have to call him with the lineups and he would write down the lineups on a piece of scratch paper. And as we were watching the game, you know, during halftime, we're feverishly scratching down any little statistic that we can see and trying to add it up. So that was my first taste into fantasy football. And then uh, it was 1998 or 99. I forget the exact year, but um, this was still 
early in the computer era, but uh, we had uh, our, our first league that was hosted on Yahoo. And then it was the league that my dad had been running for a long time. And for whatever reason, somebody had left that league. So I stepped in and it was my first year and I won it all. It was my first year ever playing fantasy football and I won it all. And I won it by grinding the waiver wire. And I was on the computer every single day, making sure that I was picking up anybody who was dropped for bye weeks or whatever it was, stashing bye week players on my bench. And by the time playoffs rolled around, my team was just unstoppable. I was accused of cheating for picking up all of these players on bye weeks and stashing them on my bench. <laughs> to me, as a little kid, I just thought it was, you know, a savvy move. But yeah. I was accused of cheating, and I was kicked out of that league after winning it my very first year. So that was a little heartbreaking wow. for me. And in those... grade school, <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I was just gonna say, and those folks now, like they've got a whole nother world coming towards them with how much stuff we have that's different than what was going on back in that day. But anyway, you keep going. <laughs> yeah, and this this was you know as basic a league as you could possibly get. But I remember, uh, and, and you know, it's just now with the information out there, like. At the time, somebody had dropped Randy Moss because it was his bye week. And I guess there was this unwritten rule that if you drop a player for a bye week, you get to pick them back up the next week. Me being a little kid, I saw Randy Moss <laughs> on the waiver wire. I said, I want this guy on my team and ended up finishing the year with Randy Moss on my team, which made a lot of people upset. But my first taste into, um, you know, really managing my own team and having a lot of fun with it was in seventh grade. Um, you know, I went to a small private school and we had a combined seventh and eighth grade class and the teacher for that class Mr. Hammis did something called math baseball. And at the time we didn't even realize it was fantasy sports. He just called it math baseball and made it into a, you know, learning experience for us. But uh, when the baseball season started, we did a snake draft where everybody got to pick their favorite players. And then in the last 10 minutes, every single day of math class, we would go through the newspapers, we'd go through the box scores and we would add up, you know, how many bases they got. You got a bonus for a home run. Uh, we didn't have any pitchers. It was the only batters at the time. But we had so much fun doing that. So I played that in seventh and eighth grade and I got hooked. And then once I got into high school, I just started doing all of these fantasy football leagues, starting them up with friends. I was in multiple leagues throughout high school. I commissioned all of them. And my home league to this day was a group that I started back in high school and we are still going strong. Still going strong. Do you guys do live drafts? Or are you guys out too spread out now to be able to do that? We do. Um, we haven't been able to get the full crew together in a little while. You know, it's tough now that we're all in our 30s and we're all over the yeah. country. You know, I'm from Chicago originally, but I live out in Colorado now. And we're all from Chicago originally, but we have people in Nebraska, Florida, Arizona, Colorado, Illinois. I mean, we are spread out all over the country. So we get together as best as we can. But we had a guy FaceTiming from his honeymoon a few years ago. Um, wow. You know, we've had uh, everybody tries to get together. This year we were able to get five of us together so far from the whole group crew but uh I, I flew out to chicago and then a few other guys from chicago are there as well um i think the biggest one we've had in recent years it's a 10 team league and we got nine of us together uh during 2020 which was which was nice during the whole uh you know covid times which were a yeah. little bit weird but we did a uh, you know everyone drove to colorado and we did a nice socially distant live draft which was the first time we had seen real people in quite a long time so that was that was nice Wow, that's that's crazy. I like it though. I like, that's super cool. I love hearing these stories about groups of friends that stay together in this league that they first started when they were in high school and stuff. Like I wish I knew about fantasy football when I was in high school. That would have been so fun to be able to play, but didn't happen. 
and, and oh. it keeps us together. You know, we all stand up yeah. in each other's weddings now. We're the, you know, the, the godfathers of each other's children. We talk every single day, whether it be in season or in the off season. You know, we've had this group chat that started as a Facebook group chat and then it was an iPhone group chat. Now we host it on this app called Telegram, but it's just, you know, these are genuinely my best friends. And I like to think that, you know, our friendship is what keeps us together. But if I'm being completely honest, I don't know if we'd still be talking every single day if it weren't for this fantasy football league. I mean, I get that, you know, it's, it's, it's hard once you get to a certain age to keep in contact with everybody. So it is cool that you guys have that thing that brings you all together. So how did you find out about doing fantasy football content creation and putting out articles, podcasting, et cetera, et cetera? So I kind of stumbled across that on accident. Um, you know, I have always just been the guy that took fantasy football more seriously than everybody else in my leagues and won a lot of fantasy leagues because I would put in the time and the research and the effort. And I was, you know, I've been doing my own rankings for about 10 years where I'd kind of take rankings from some people that I trusted and just tweak some things here and there to, you know, fit what, what I liked a little bit better. Um, and then it was about five or six years ago on Reddit. I just started writing what were basically articles that I was just publishing as text posts directly to Reddit. And, um, you know, was just having a lot of fun doing that and uh, built up a pretty, you know, you don't really get followings on Reddit because everything is anonymous, but I had weekly articles that I was writing and, you know, people would get excited about these articles. And then one day somebody from fantasy pros reached out to me and they said, Hey, would you be interested in writing for fantasy pros? And, you know, naive me having no idea about anything in the industry i was like oh cool you know they, they probably want me to be on a podcast with mike taglair and kyle yates this is going to be so much fun <laughs> didn't realize that i was going to fantasy pros as low on the totem as you possibly could so like i said when i was doing this part-time after work that's what i was doing at fantasy pros was nba game recaps i don't even like nba i'm not even a fan of basketball but i figured you know if this is how i'm gonna get my foot in the door with a big company like fantasy pros and you know just uh you know cut my teeth doing some fantasy content, this is a good way to do it. So for two years, I did uh, game recaps and injury updates for the Detroit Pistons, the Sacramento Kings, and the Memphis Grizzlies, and kind of had to force myself to become a fan of NBA. And yeah. I had no experience as a writer. Um, you know, I'm somebody who does some writing in my free time for fun, and I read a ton, so I like to think it comes naturally to me, but I had no experience writing. So getting to talk daily with people like Dan Harris and Brendan Tuma and Mike Maher, and then eventually Mike Taglair and Kyle Yates, you know, getting to have friends like that in the industry that were taking time to help me get better at what I was doing. Um, it didn't matter what I was making at fantasy pros. I felt like the experience alone was so valuable to me. So after doing NBA game recaps and injuries for about two years, then I switched over to MLB, which I also do not like MLB, but I forced myself to like MLB and I uh, followed the angels and the Rangers and did write-ups on them for a, uh, for a full summer and then after that year, they said, hey, you know, we think that you've kind of uh, proven yourself a little bit. We're going to give you a shot doing some NFL content. So then I started doing some NFL content again. All of this time, I wasn't on Twitter. I didn't know that Twitter existed. Oh, wow. I didn't know nothing about FF Twitter. I had a Twitter <laughs> account only to have notifications on for Schefter and Pelissero and uh, right. James Palmer and these guys. That's the only reason I had a Twitter account. So I start doing the same thing I was doing, game updates and injury recap or game recaps and injury updates at Fantasy Pros. And um, everyone was telling me, hey, you need to get on Twitter. You need to get on Twitter. So one day I just started tweeting um, the summer of 2020 and then 
connected with a few people and then it went from you know writing injury updates and game recaps at fantasy pros to writing actual analysis and articles for some small websites i was with the pregame hq and i was with fantasy intervention and then uh i actually did my first show my first podcast um it was a live stream and I, I i was blown away that somebody asked me to do it it was week two of the 2020 season and I just was hooked. I was, uh, I don't, I don't want to use the term addicted, but I loved it. I loved <laughs> yeah. it. just being able to talk and having an audience and getting to talk about football on the fly. I had so much fun doing it. And from that point that I did my first show ever until one year from that date, I did over 500 shows. I was averaging almost two wow. shows a day. And, and I basically said, <laughs> you know, if I'm going to make it in this industry, I want my face to be out there as much as possible. I want people to know who I am. And I was hosting three shows a week. I was guesting on as many shows as possible and, um, you know, turned into, turned into something fun. So writing articles for the first time ever, what were you thinking going into that? Like, were you nervous? Were you excited? How were your feelings? I was terrified when I started writing articles and writing is always something that's kind of come naturally to me, but I was just, uh, the, the, just putting it out there is such a vulnerable feeling. And I don't think people realize that when you have to, you know, we're talking about fantasy football. You don't think that there's anything vulnerable about talking fantasy football, but there really is when you have to put your takes out there and, you know, say how you feel about a player and knowing that you could be wrong is a terrifying feeling. So when I first started writing, I was pretty confident in my, uh, in my content, you know, I'd write something and I'd read it back and I think this was really good. But I think that the way that you get better is by having people proofread and edit your content. And, uh, you know, I've mentioned his name a couple of times on the show already, but Mike Taglair became a very good friend of mine. You know, we would talk very frequently and he was the guy that would look over my articles. Um, and, I, and I couldn't believe it the first time I reached out to him and I said, hey, Mike, you know, I'm, I'm a guy from Chicago that's trying to make it in this industry, uh, you know, long shot here. I doubt you even have time, but would you possibly look over this article for me? And he didn't respond. 24 hours went by and I said, of course not. It's Mike Taglair. He doesn't have time for me. And then the next day, over 24 hours later, he sent me a breakdown of the article with notes and annotations on the Google spreadsheet telling me what he'd changed, where some pro problems were in my process and, you know, just just way more than I ever would have expected. You know, I was thinking, hey, that's good or hey, that sucks. But he went through line by line and edited this like a college professor would. And it blew my mind that he was willing to take the time to do that. So I took all the information that he gave me, took it to heart. And then going forward, he was just kind of a sounding board for me where I can bounce ideas off of him and I'd run my articles past him. And we became really, really close over uh, that, that next year or so. And having that sounding board is really important because, you know, I found I was able to find that as well and, and bounce off, you know, bounce my ideas off of people. So for somebody who is wanting to be a part of this community or this industry, what kind of advice do you have um, if, for people when it comes to networking or trying to talk with somebody that you look up to and respect? Yeah, networking is not easy um, and, and it takes a lot of work. And I don't think people realize that, that, you know, much like sharing an article, networking puts you in a pretty vulnerable space where you have to reach out to somebody knowing that they might not get back to you. And that's happened to me plenty of times where I have reached out to people that I respect and I looked up to and, hey, you know, um, can I can I get a half hour where we can get on a call together and I can try to learn some things from you and they don't get back to me and then I have to follow up with them again and they still don't get back to me. And that's just how it is with some people. You know, there's a lot of people in this industry that I admire and respect that I've tried connecting with that will not give me the time of day. And hey, it is what it is. But um, 
in the same frame, I've reached out to a lot of people that I never expected a response from, like Mike Taglair, that were, you know, above and beyond friendly. So, I, you know, really just put yourself out there and send that DM or make that phone call or send that email because you don't know how the other person's going to respond. And all I can say is that me personally, knowing that I've had people that were willing to go above and beyond to help me out when I was brand new. I try to do the same for anybody that reaches out. You know, I don't have time to answer every start sit DM I get or every trade question that I get. But if somebody reaches out and says, Hey, you know, I'm trying to make content and I have no idea where to start. Those are the people that I'll respond to and give them as much of my time as I can, because I know I want to be here. I am today without the help of others. Yeah. And that's excellent advice. And same thing with me. If anybody ever reaches out to me, um, you know, I'm willing to listen. So that's the only way you're going to get better is to have people help you out and read your stuff and, and, you know, give you ideas. So uh, when you, what is something that you think that you really have improved on since you first started in the industry to now? That's a really good question. I think overall my process has just gotten a little bit more sound and that has been from learning from a lot of the smartest people in this space. I've been on a lot of phone calls where I feel like, you know, people are just talking laps around me, but I am a sponge and I try to learn as much as I can. And when I first got into NFL content creation, a lot of what I was doing was just kind of throwing stuff at the wall and hoping it would stick. And sometimes it did, but as I've, you know, been in this industry for a couple of years now, um, you know, I've talked to a lot of really sharp people that have kind of given me a peek behind the curtain of what their process looks like. And then I try to add that into my process. And I think the important thing for me is I don't want to stray too hard to one side or the other. You know, I don't want to be a hardcore film guy that only watches the game and refuses to look at numbers. But I also don't want to be somebody who is only looking at the game through the scope of a spreadsheet. So I try to keep a balance with kind of both sides there. So um, you know, over at football guys, we have people like, uh, you know, Matt Waldman has been great with helping me for his process on how he watches games and the things that he looks for. And that's helped me a ton. And then I've had calls with JJ Zacharyson and Graham Barfield, who are the guys that I look up to as some of the best data analysts in the space. And they've helped me a little bit with their process as well. So just adding things into my tool bag that can make me a better fantasy analyst. I feel like my process has gotten much more tight and sound over the last couple of years. Also, has there been anything that you can think of that is something that you were worried about first going into this whole thing and then found out quickly that it really wasn't as scary as you thought it was going to be? That's a great question. Yeah. And I think uh, the, the big thing was just knowing that every other fantasy analyst out there is just another person. You know, you we, we put these people up on pedestals where... You know, um, I don't want to name anybody, but anybody out there, you know, I, I've done shows with Adam Rank and Matthew Barry and Marcus Grant and these people that you see on TV and they're almost bigger than life in your mind. And then once you sit down and you talk with them, you realize, wow, this is just another person just like me who loves football and loves talking about football and gets to, you know, have an awesome job in an amazing industry. And I think that was the biggest thing for me. And And you realize that. Um, you know, you and I talked before we started recording a little bit about being in Canton. And that's why I think it is so important to go to those industry events, because when you're at those events, you realize we are all just a bunch of nerds that love football at the end of the day. And I think getting to meet other people and realize that, um, you know, we, we just build up these kind of 
preconceived notions of people from Twitter. You know, we read one right. tweet and we might read it in a different tone than that author's intent. And then because of that, we have this idea that, oh, this person's stuck up or this person's a snob or this person's full of themselves, whatever it may be. And so many times we are misguided in how we look at other people. So that's why I think the, the, the you know, just getting to meet people and realize that we're all just nerds who love football. That, that was one of the big things that I've learned over the years. And you brought up the expo. It, this is not sponsored by the expo at all, but I do want to <laughs> tell everybody that's listening that it is a very important tool to get to know people in the industry and kind of see that everybody, you know, we're going through the same stuff and, you know, talk to other like-minded people, which is pretty cool. And, and you were there and I, I was there. How was it to see that many people that love fantasy football? And, and did you think that there was going to be as many people as there were there? Well, it was much bigger than I expected. And um, how do I feel seeing that many people? Well, my hands got <laughs> clammy, and my armpits started sweating a little bit, and I get a little nervous around big crowds of people, but made the best out of it. You know, you realize very quickly that a lot of people that are in this industry kind of have the same thing where they don't like huge crowds of people, but everybody yeah. is there for one purpose, and that's just to network and get to meet people and talk football. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I loved it. Um, you know, it, it is a much bigger event than I ever realized. But it, it, it's just awesome getting to meet all of these people. You know, you and I have had so many interactions on Twitter in the past, but getting to see you in real life and then, you know, getting to see good friends. You know, Jeff Bell mm -hmm. is a guy who he and I had worked together for almost a year and he's somebody who I considered a good friend and thought I was going crazy because I was like, how could I consider this guy a real life good friend? We've never even met in real life, but just getting to break down that barrier of what's yeah. up, Jeff, I'm Dave and like coming in and giving him a hug. And then it just, it, it feels like all of these relationships that you make through the fantasy football network just get elevated so much after you get that real life experience. And it really stinks that we're all so spread out, you know, and that we could only do this, you know, that one time a year. It's, it, it, it is a lot of fun to be able to be around so many people. And while you were there, did you meet people as well that you didn't even know put out content or were a part of the Twitterverse? You know, not really. And I wish I had. I wish I had, uh, you know, more time to meet new mm -hmm. people. And, and the thing is, you know, you recognize so many faces that you kind of go, you, you bounce from one person, you know, to another. And I feel like I never got a single full conversation. I can't remember ever meeting somebody, talking with somebody, putting a nice bow on that conversation and then moving on to the next conversation. It's always yeah. while you're talking to somebody, somebody else comes butting in and, hey, how's it going? I was hoping yep. I'd see you here. <laughs> and then while you're in the middle of that conversation, somebody else butts in and then you're in a new conversation and it's just kind of your head is swirling the whole time. So as much as I wish I could have met new people, I felt like for the most part, I was just you know meeting people that I had already I'm doing air quotes right now for the podcast listeners, <laughs> people that I had already met, you know, people that I had an established relationship with, but just taking that to a new personal level by meeting them in real life. Which do you prefer? Do you, or do you prefer one over the other when it comes to podcasting versus writing? I much prefer writing. Unfortunately, I think that I'm a little bit better at podcasting. Um, you know, I, I've met so many people in real life and they always say, oh my goodness, that's that's your real voice. Like, this isn't me putting on a voice. I just kind of have a voice that works kind of naturally with podcasts. And I never realized that until I started podcasting. So for me, podcasting initially was kind of a necessary evil to get my face out there and to, you know, get more exposure. But at the end of the day, I was hoping that, hey, if I put in my dues as a podcaster and get my exposure, maybe one day I'll be able to write full time. And then I quickly realized that there is nobody in this industry who works full time and is only a writer. 
everybody that's writing <laughs> is also doing podcasting and is also doing videos and is also doing YouTube. And then in my situation of football, I was doing a lot of sales and backend and business development stuff. I think that was one of the biggest learning experiences for me is these people that we think are full-time writers are wearing many hats and doing a lot more than just writing. So I tell people that all the time because the first thing people say when they reach out to me is, hey, you know, I want to be a full-time YouTube content creator. I want to be a full-time writer. And I immediately tell them, you're not going to make it full-time if that's all you want to do. You have to use secondary and tertiary skills and, you know, find out how those can be of value to another brand because, to my knowledge, I mean, yeah, of course we have, you know, the, the Matthew Berries of the world and, and the people that are working for NFL Network that are pretty much full-time content creation. But anybody working for these smaller fantasy-only websites are wearing lots of hats and doing a lot more than just content creation. And do you think that's one of those preconceived notions, you know, that people think that they, that like the quote-unquote for the podcast, again, the average Joes that don't know exactly what you know, analysts and writers do, do you think that they don't realize that you guys and gals and everybody do as much stuff as you do at maybe a smaller site? Yeah. I don't, I don't think people realize that at all. I mean, even podcasting, you see people joke around all the time. Yeah. You know, any, any schmuck can go buy a, buy a microphone for 20 bucks and be a podcaster. There is so much more to podcasting than just talking into a microphone for an hour. Yeah. There is, you know, the graphics and the thumbnails and the self-promotion and the marketing and the audio editing. And there's there's so much more that goes into content creation than what you see. You know, what yeah. you see on, my, on the YouTube channel is a seven-minute video of me talking about players that I think that you should go trade for. What you don't see is me stumbling over my words and re-recording the same segment over and over again because I can't get the words out of my mouth and then trying to think of a creative title and then making a thumbnail and then editing yeah. and doing all those sorts of things. So that seven-minute video that you're seeing on YouTube is hours of work to put out there. And and I think that's the the biggest thing that most people don't realize is how much work has to go on behind the scenes for that finished product to make it to the consumer. And I really wish it was just as easy as, you know, buying a microphone and going, even I, I don't do a whole lot of editing or anything like that. It's still, it's still time consuming, especially when you're not full time and you're trying to do, you know, an eight hour a day, you know, Monday, Friday job, and then come home and do all that. So um, how do you balance, you know, podcasting, writing and, you know, family life and everything else without burning out? That's a great question. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I feel like I'm getting pretty close to that burnout. You know, I started doing this the, uh, you know, I've been doing it uh, on the side and in the evenings for, you know, five or six years now. But I've been doing this full time now in the NFL space alone since the summer of 2020. And here we are now heading into winter of 2022. And I have yet to take a break. So it has been almost two full years with pedal to the metal, you know, no vacations, no real time off. So um, it, it, it is tough to make that balance. Um, and I think that what you need to realize and a lot of people don't realize is that you can unplug from Twitter for a day and people aren't going to notice. You know, people feel this like insatiable need that if I don't tweet any day, every day, people are going to forget about me. And if I'm not constantly putting content out, people are going to forget about me. I guarantee even with the following that I have and the engagement that I get on my tweets, if I unplugged tomorrow and didn't come back for two weeks, nobody would even notice that I'm gone. So the kind of idea that we build up in our head of how important we are and how much content we need to push out there, I just don't think that it's really that true. I think people need to realize that you aren't as important as you think you are, no matter how big you are in this space, you still aren't as important as you think you are. So spend time with your family, spend time with your friends. 
go out for that date night on a Friday night. It's not going to completely sabotage your career if you take some personal time for yourself. And speaking of Twitter, since you had already brought it up earlier about getting a Twitter kind of late to the fantasy football Twitter side of everything. Um, when you first got a Twitter, why did you get the Twitter? And then how was joining it and seeing that there were so many people that were into fantasy football on the internet? Yeah, it was a, uh, it was kind of shocking. Um, Cause you know, I had been talking fantasy football online for years. Like I said, mm-hmm. you know, I started on Reddit, but on Reddit, you know, there's no, um, I, I always say that Reddit is Twitter without the egos with everything coming from an anonymous account. You know, there aren't followers and you're not trying to track engagement and you don't really care what you say because it's from an anonymous account. So if you say something dumb, no big deal. The next day you got a clean slate and you can say something again. And you're, you know, people aren't saying, Oh, well, this is the guy that did this yesterday. So I really like Reddit. I think that, you know, from, uh, uh, you know, just, uh, the level of conversation for football talk is so much higher on Reddit in my opinion. So when I got to, uh, Twitter and I started tweeting about football and I saw all these other accounts, I started off kind of treating it the same way that I was on Reddit, where a lot of people are kind of brash and smug because they're playing from behind an anonymous account. And then I quickly realized, wait, this is my name on here and this is a picture of my face and people are going to start associating me with this. So I switched it up pretty quickly, kind of the way that I was handling myself out here. But I was blown away. Um, You know, I, I, I knew a handful of names as a consumer. Obviously, I was a big fan of the football guys. So. Sigmund Bloom and Joe Bryant and Matt Waldman and Cecil Lammy. Those were the first guys I followed. I knew JJ Zacharyson because I had stumbled across the late round podcast a few years prior to that. And then, of course, I knew the guys from Fantasy Bros, Mike Tagler and Kyle Yates. That was it. I didn't know anybody mm-hmm. else outside of that. Um, you know, FF Today is a website that I used to get a lot of my information from. None of the guys from FF Today really have much of a Twitter presence. So, you know, there, there were a lot of people that I was engaging with who at the time didn't realize that there were big people in the space. To me, I was just talking football with everybody on a level playing field, the same as Reddit, not realizing that you kind of need to bite your tongue and treat certain people a little bit differently on Twitter. You got to play the politics game a little bit. So um, I, I think one word to sum up how I felt when I first got on Twitter was overwhelmed. I just didn't yeah. realize how many people <laughs> were doing this. Yeah, I mean, when I joined Twitter I was not even into fantasy football I don't think and then as time progressed I saw how the fantasy community kind of was building itself up on Twitter and then you know the pandemic hit and it just like kind of skyrocketed when it came to how many people joined Twitter because that's you know everybody was trying to put out content or seeing what other content people were putting out it was it it was just a a, I just remember that time so well um but you started, you said you started full-time in 2020. So the whole COVID situation, how was going into that starting full-time with what was going on? Yeah. And, um, you know, we have, uh, I I feel like me and a lot of my colleagues that kind of came up around the same time, we have been labeled the uh, quarantine creators because we all came in around, uh, you know, 2020 when, like you (laughs) said, you know, it had really blown up at that point in time. So that also made it kind of difficult because I was coming into what was already a pretty established market. And then I'm joining with hundreds of other people, thousands of other people, tens of thousands, if we're being (laughs) honest. I mean, how many people tried, you know, uh, taking a stab at content creation at that time? So it was really tough to stand out among Mm -hmm. a crowd of, you know, thousands of talented people that were all trying to make a name in this space. Um, Yeah, I mean, it was uh, it, it was definitely tough at the time. But, um, you know, I was still working from home and I, I, I say I was full time at the time. 
I was still working another job, but I was working from home and I was kind of able to put in the bare minimum. So I was putting in yeah. full-time hours in fantasy content creation while still collecting my nine to five paycheck from there a job. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> I, I mean, I don't work there anymore, so I could say that at the time, but yeah, I wasn't doing any work at Schneider for my last year there. I was full-time <laughs> doing this. I didn't go. really make the transition into getting full-time, um, you know, getting paid full-time in the fantasy space until 2021. So that first year I, I was balancing a job that was paying me, but I was putting in full time, you know, 40 mm -hmm. to 50 hours a week making content. And you're a big proponent of mental health awareness and, you know, breaking the stigma of all of that, because let's face it, there's still a stigma out there when it comes to that kind of stuff. Um, and COVID comes in and a, a lot of people had, issues with mental health pop up that they didn't even know they had until they had to be isolated and all of that. Um, can you, can you explain exactly how you found out that, you know, there was some stuff that you needed to focus on yourself about and, and what that process was like? Yeah, of course. I'll, uh, we'll, we'll start in the teenage years. I think that's when I first kind of realized that, something was a, a little bit off with me. Um, you know, I always just, uh, you know, I, I mentioned it earlier that my, my parents split up when I was young and um, didn't realize at the time that my dad who had raised me wasn't my biological father. So, um, you know, found that out when I was about 12 years old. And um, at that point in time, my, my parents had split up and my dad decided, you know, I'm going to keep a relationship with my two biological sons. And, you know, I don't need you in my life anymore, even though I adopted you and raised you, you know, that is what it is. And that was tough to deal with as a little kid. And that's when, um, you know, a lot of uh, just anger started popping up. I was a kid who would get in fights all the time. If somebody would look at me wrong, you know, seventh, eighth grade, freshman year, sophomore year, I was just fighting. That, that was really it was it was terrible, you know, looking back at it. I, I was just pent up with so much rage and couldn't really understand why. And then um, once I got into high school, you know, started experimenting with a lot of drugs, started drinking at a pretty young age. And um, right before my 16th birthday, I kind of had a blow up at the house where, um, you know, I was having a party and my mom came home and I had been drinking and made an attempt on my life and ended up in the psychiatric ward doing inpatient therapy for a while. And while I was in the psychiatric ward, I was diagnosed as being bipolar and I just kept and I brushed it off and I said, I'm not bipolar, you know, I'm just a teenager. I got hormones, you know, I'm, I'm fine. I, I got this all figured out. And then uh, immediately when I got out of the hospital, stopped taking my medication and went right back down that path of self-destruction, drinking drugs, partying, fighting, and did that for, for a few years. And every now and then I'd go back to a therapist thinking, you know, I, something isn't right, but I, I need help. And then I'd go to therapy for a couple of weeks and say, yeah, this isn't helping. And then I would just go back to the same life that I was living. And then finally, uh, it was when I was about 24 or 25 years old. Um, I had just at the time recently met my now wife and we were living together in Chicago. And again, I still had this just rage inside me that I couldn't really figure out. So I said, you know what? I am too old to be living my life like this. Um, I started having debilitating panic attacks at that time. Um, you know, I'd have to leave work because of panic attacks. There were times where I'd be on the bus and I would pass out the bus and wake up all the way in the South side because I had been unconscious on a bus for an hour from a panic attack. And it was starting to really, really ruin my life. 
So I finally went to therapy and I said, I'm going to give this 100% of myself uh, or give 100% of myself to this. And I stopped drinking. I stopped smoking, stopped doing any drugs that I was doing at that time. And I went into therapy with a very clear mind. And I said, you know, I want to get this fixed. And, uh, you know, a lot of cognitive behavior therapy. And I had to, I, I think the toughest thing was just swallowing the pill, knowing that I had bipolar disorder and coming to terms with the fact that this, you know, diagnosis that I had had for 15 years and had been lying to myself about was actually a very real thing. And then once I accepted that and went through the steps of therapy and got on medication, I was able to live my life much better and healthier and happier, but I still wasn't a hundred percent. And then again, through therapy, we realized that a lot of my triggers were just coming from being in Chicago, that I had some bad memories in Chicago and, uh, you know, some, some ties with my family that, um, were still kind of holding me back. So moving moved out to Colorado in 2018 when I was 28 years old. And that was just a life-changing experience, you know, just kind of unplugging from a lot of my stressors back at home, um, finding a way to uh, just just tie myself to nature. Um, you know, that's something that my wife and I love doing, rock climbing and kayaking and whitewater rafting and all that sort of stuff. And it has just completely reset my brain. Since I've been out here, I've been able to get off my medication and I still have these episodes that kind of come and go, but they're much more manageable now as an adult because of that time that I spent in therapy. And yeah, I mean, I started going to therapy during, you know, when we started going back to work and right after, you know, the first wave of COVID and everything. And it, it's, it's one of those things that I think it's really cool to see people like you talk about your mental health and be so open about it because other people are going through the same stuff and sometimes they don't feel like other people are going through the same stuff, you know, and it's nice to have somebody that's got a blue check mark next to their name, um, <laughs> you know, tell everybody, you know, what they're going through. What do you, what kind of, uh, when you hear somebody say something like stick to football, cause that's, there's a stick to football crowd out there on Twitter. We all know it. Um, what are your thoughts on the stick to football crowd? I, I just mute them. <laughs> I, mean, I wish I said that I had, you know, some snarky response or something like that, but I get it all the time. You know, I I've even, you know, people use that against me. People have weaponized that against me. You know, I cracked a joke uh, on Father's Day not too long ago. Um, this was two years ago on Father's Day when I said, uh, happy Father's Day to all my fatherless bastards out there. And, you know, to me, it was a rather innocuous, funny joke, but I can't tell you how many times that's been used against me where people DM me and say, ah, you know, this is, this is what happens when you're raised without a dad. And it's like, really? Like you're going to weaponize? Like I, I was vulnerable, <laughs> kind of cracking a joke and you're going to use yeah. that against me or you know, I, I say a take that somebody doesn't agree with and, oh, Kluge's off his meds because he's sitting here hyping up this guy and people use it against me all the time. And I just don't have the energy to deal with that. Um, right. You know, I used to go back and forth with trolls. I don't block anybody at this point because I know that, you know, these people probably have some messed up stuff going on in their life. They're willing to just take shots at strangers that they've never met over real life problems that they have. But my muted list is a mile long so i see that stuff here and there <laughs> yeah. but for the most part it just gets muted and out of my life good good that's how it should be actually so the mute button is such a great tool for mental health it really is um mm -hmm. so moving off to colorado which is a place i've never been to but i really want to because i hear it's so beautiful and you were just describing all the fun stuff you guys do outside and all of that and what what is something that you is there is there something that you've been doing lately while or since you've been in Colorado that you never thought, you know, that'd be something I'd be into? Like I'd never be into rock climbing, but you know, 
<laughs> yeah, that, that's a great question. And um, the thing that my wife and I are doing right now is trying to climb the tallest peaks in Colorado. There are 58 peaks that are over 14,000 feet tall. This is something wow. I never thought I'd have an interest in. But we first yeah. moved out here. I can't remember what day of the week we had moved out here, but whatever, it was like our second or third day out here. And our neighbors were telling us, oh, you know, you're a real Coloradoan once you climb a 14er. And that's what they call them out here, 14,000 foot mountains. They call them 14ers. So I Googled, you know, easiest 14er. And sure, it turns out there was one, you know, about a two hour drive. So I said, hey, Emily, you know, my wife, I said, let's wake up early and go climb this 14,000 foot mountain. And it kicked the crap out of us. I have never <laughs> felt anything like that in my life. And and looking back, this is one of the easier mountains to climb. But once you're up at that altitude, um, you know, it, it just literally takes the breath out of your lungs. You know, you take two steps and then you are bent over wheezing, trying to catch your breath. And something about sitting on that summit, I can't really put it into words. And I've tried explaining it to a lot of people. And it absolutely is just one of those things that you have to do after just, you know, beating the crap out of yourself physically and climbing a mountain and just putting one foot in front of another when everything in your body is screaming, turn around and go back to your car. You shouldn't be up here. But then when you finally sit on that mountain and you just get those 360 degree views, there's just this piece that I felt in my body that I could not possibly explain. And from then on, my wife and I, we've been hooked. Um, you know, we, uh, there's 58 total. We are at 29. So we are uh, exactly halfway through doing them right now. Wow. We had to shelf it for a little bit because I just recently had a shoulder surgery that kind of put me out of commission for this summer, mm. but we were able to sneak one last one in at the very end of the season, like two weeks ago. So we only got one this season, but we did a uh, 20 something last year. And it's something where uh, I'm hoping that by next summer, we'll have that whole list checked off. And that's something I never thought I'd do trying to climb all of the tallest peaks in Colorado, but we are, we're, we're halfway there. What are, what a rad idea. Like, that's just so cool that you guys came up with that and decided that, you know, you were going to do that and bringing up your wife. Um, how does your wife, how does she feel about the fantasy football uh, aspect of your life? Um, I know, you know, you recently went full time, but how was that whole you know process? Well, my wife is incredibly supportive, but most importantly, she's a huge football fan. When we first moved in together, the first year we lived together, we brought a Christmas tree and um, she decided to decorate our Christmas tree in bear stuff. She had bears hats and scarves and gloves. And I said, all right, well, this is the one. I mean, I, that's it. And then we spent a ton of time going to bears games together and we would get together on Sundays and watch football before we were ever living together. And we have both always loved football. Um, she's had a fantasy football league with uh, her friends that she's commissioned for a few years. So she understands fantasy. She loves watching football. And she also saw me working a job that was, you know, paying well. And I, I just wasn't happy. And, you know, I was just going through the motions every single day. I had this book of business that was basically turnkey and I wasn't putting in any work. I wasn't really challenging myself. I was just collecting a paycheck. And she saw that kind of sucking the life out of me. And then once I started doing fantasy football content, I mean, it's a passion. And and I think that my wife, you know, she did what any supportive spouse would do and supported me while I was chasing my passion. And um, she's also been my biggest cheerleader. And I've heard from a lot of other people that are in this space or, uh, you know, uh, spouses get frustrated over the amount of time that they put in. But my wife was the complete opposite. She tuned into all of my shows. And when I'd get out of my office after recording a show, she'd have a notepad saying, hey, you know, make sure you sit with your shoulders back. And try to accentuate, <laughs> accentuate a little bit more. And she had notes for me. She went to college um, and studied mass media. So she was my, my cheerleader. She 
helped me through all of it. And she has been wildly supportive since day one. And how did you guys meet? Uh, we met on Tinder, believe it or not. Um, hey, at the time, cool. we were both single. We had no thoughts or plans of being in a relationship and uh, met up at a dog park one day after work and just hit it off. And, and we just immediately knew and haven't really you know, spent any time apart since. Uh, uh, and <laughs> well, you brought you moved to Colorado, so um, that also was a big, you know, a big deal. So, uh, and I'm guessing, obviously, by the stories you're telling, she enjoys Colorado as much as you do. She does, yes. And uh, you know, both of us when we were in Chicago, it was a very different lifestyle. She worked at a fine dining steak restaurant, and you know, I was working right at Madison and Dearborn in downtown Chicago with a you know well paying job, and it was concerts and parties and you know just anybody that lives in chicago knows what i'm saying it is a busy city with a lot to do and then we moved out here and it was completely different you know when when we tried going out one friday night in chicago we'd get together with our friends at 9 p.m start drinking at somebody's apartment by 10 30 11 you're ready to go hit the bars and then the bars stay open till 5 a.m and our first weekend here in fort collins colorado it was 9 p.m and we said hey let's go get a drink somewhere every bar was closed. And we said, well, this is a much different pace of life than what we're <laughs> used to in Chicago. So then we adapted and started doing other things. And, um, you know, I, I, it's, it's been kind of crazy seeing, uh, my wife who I never thought would be doing this sort of stuff, uh, right alongside with me, climbing these mountains and, you know, sleeping in the back of a car and waking up at 4am to go, uh, you know, climb a mountain before the snow gets mushy and just doing crazy, crazy stuff out here together. And on Sundays, like as you had, said earlier about Sundays are for football. Um, do you watch a lot of football on Sundays? Are you that guy or are you the guy that doesn't watch football and just kind of like keeps track of what's going on? No, I watch it all. I mean, I got multiple <laughs> screens. I got red zone going on one screen, the Bears game going on another. Uh, in the afternoon games, you know, we'll pick our two favorite games. Big game is up on the screen. Secondary game is on the smaller screen. Watch every Thursday night, Sunday night, and Monday night game. I, I don't miss a second of football. I don't care who's playing. I don't care if it's the Browns and the Jaguars playing on Thursday night football. I'm watching that until the clock hits double zero. And watching a football game with you, like how was that experience? So, tell me, kind of paint a picture for how it would be, how you would be acting, how, how you know, you are. I, <laughs> if I'm watching the Bears, I still get pretty excited. This year, I have kind of removed the emotion from the Bears. I, I have accepted that this is a rebuilding year. I do yeah. not care what the Bears do. You know, I, I'll try to relish in their wins when they have them. But, uh, you know, when the Bears are competitive, I get very amped up. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of screaming, jumping out of chairs, yelling. But I'm also at the point now where I'm in so many fantasy football leagues that I don't really pay that much attention to my fantasy scoring on Sundays. I just watch the game and I enjoy the games. And then I'll usually check my scoring on Monday and kind of see how I did. But that's changed how I watch football a lot, too. Because, you know, when you're in one league or two leagues, you're so much like, I need the ball to go to this player. Like, this guy needs more catches. Or why didn't this guy finish the run? <laughs> When you're in 30 leagues, it doesn't matter. I have exposure to every single player that's playing on Sundays. And, you know, I just have to hope that my team construction and my roster construction will be enough to pull out the W. But um, I, I think the way that I've changed watching football over the last couple of years, I am much calmer now. I just watch and enjoy the game and take notes rather than, you know, jumping up and down and screaming because my guy didn't get the goal line work. <laughs> um, with... Sorry, I got to That was funny. Okay. <laughs> um I want to I want to ask about those 30 leagues or 
that you're in, what is your favorite type of format or what's your favorite, you know, league setting? Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm boring. And, and I know this isn't, you know, I, I get shredded for this take all the time. As fun as, you know, dynasty super flex with 25 bench spots. I mean, there's, I'm in those leagues. Don't get me wrong. They're fun, but I think the most fun leagues are 10 teamers with five benches where you've got a really active waiver wire. I love those leagues and that's what my home league is. So I'm probably a little bit biased, but it just, you know, keeps the waiver wire really active. You have to be really strategic about who you're going to drop on bye weeks. You have to start planning ahead for bye weeks because you have such a small bench. And then I think that when you have 10 teams, that's when you could build some juggernauts where you can have these teams that are putting up 250, 260 points a week, you know, making trades, you can really load up. Um, so that is my favorite format is just 10 teams, five bench spots, half PPR redraft. That is my preferred format. With redraft and trading, I know it's kind of hard to get those to go through as much as it is with uh, Dynasty, or at least in my situations, it's always a little bit harder. Um, how do you facilitate trades and, and go through that process when you're doing a redraft league? Oh, Casey, before I was doing fantasy football content <laughs> creation, I was a salesperson. I spent 12 years as a very, very good salesperson. So I'm pretty good at, you know, making a <laughs> uh, not so great asset look a lot better than it actually is. So, um, you know, full disclosure, in most redraft leagues that I'm in, I'm typically not trading a ton because like you said, it is tough to do. But in yeah. my home league, we all <laughs> know, you know, each other's what gets people going and what doesn't. And I'll usually start if I'm trying to sell a player. I'll start planting seeds weeks ahead of time. You know, if I got a guy on my team that I don't like, I'll start sharing little bits of news about, you know, this player might be getting extra work or this running back's taking, you know, slot snaps, things like that to pretty much warm my league up to a player before I even make it known that they're on the trade block. But that's a league that has, you know, almost 15 years of history now where we all know each other and, you know, manipulate the league a little bit. Uh, but yeah, uh, other redraft leagues that I'm in with, you know, random people from Twitter, or, you know, uh, old coworkers or whatever, it's pretty tough to get trades going in those. Or um, are you more of a fan of trades or are you more of a fan of the waiver wire? Trades, absolutely. I, I think that, I mean, you're, you're really scraping the bottom of the barrel when you're going for the waiver wire. And when you're able to make that perfect trade where it helps two people out, you know, I'm really hurting for an RB two and this guy's really hurting for a wide receiver three. And when we could make that trade, that's beneficial for both teams. Um, I, I, I love when that happens and it's rare and it's tough to pull off, but there is nothing that gets me going more than a mutually beneficial trade for both parties. Yeah, I, I will agree that 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 always does feel just a little bit better. So um, I've been making a lot of trades uh, recently in my dynasty leagues and I'm trying to make more, so <laughs> it's good to hear. I, I, I want to keep talking about trades, but this isn't a trade that, addict show. So, well, I, I think the reason I think the reason it's easier in Dynasty too is because there's always, yeah. ah, you know, I feel like I need a little bit more. And when you could just say, all right, well, here's a third round pick, here's a second yeah. round pick, you've yep. always got those picks that you can throw out there that just until you throw them all out. The pot a little bit. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I'm like, where did all my picks go? Oh, yeah, they were throwaways. <laughs> yep. But you can always make people throw them back in and just keep, you know, keep recycling them. It's always exactly. fun. Exactly. Um, do you play any other fantasy sports besides fantasy football? No, I, I have in the past. Um, I did fantasy basketball uh, when I was working for fantasy pros on their NBA side with uh, Adam Koffler and Dan Titus and uh, Mike Maher, Brendan Tuma. We put together a league and we were all playing a fantasy basketball league together. That was the last time I played anything besides fantasy football. I've tried fantasy hockey before. I was miserable. I've tried fantasy baseball 
And I mean, I, I understand that there's people that like fantasy baseball, but I like to enjoy my summer. And you can't if you're in fantasy baseball. <laughs> I genuinely don't think that you can enjoy a summer if you're playing fantasy baseball. You need to check that lineup multiple times a day, every single day in the heart of summer. So no, for, for me, it's football. And I think that football is just so perfect. It's like right when things start to get cold and right when the mountains close down and everything's getting, you know, a little brisk in the air. And you just get to lock yourself inside and watch football for 18 weeks. Exactly. It's it's the perfect time. It's the perfect time. And, you know, with fantasy uh, baseball, I always sound like a hater when it comes to that. But really, I, I'm just kind of one of those people that doesn't have a lot of time and I'm lazy. So on, if you put both of those together, just fantasy baseball doesn't work out. <laughs> it, it's tough. It is a grind, like I said. And you get these like last second inactives, too. We're yeah. like, and that's what I'm saying. You need to check multiple times a day, every single day. And it's the same way with basketball too, because you can look, you know, a guy with no injury an hour before tip off is suddenly scratched because they want to give him a night's rest. And it, it makes it, it makes basketball and baseball really tough. And that's what I tell people. That's my biggest selling point for people that have never played fantasy football before. I say, you really only need to look at your team twice a week. You need to look once on Tuesdays and put in your waiver claims. And then you need to look once on Sunday morning and make sure that your healthy guys are on there. And if you really want to dive into it and, you know, try to, you know, play Thursday matchups and, you know, you got injuries. Yeah. I mean, obviously you can spend a little bit more time on it, but if you want to put in the bare minimum, you could just check it Tuesday and Sunday and still do okay in fantasy football. Yeah. And that's, yeah, exactly. And that's why when people in like my home league don't set, I hope they, I hope they're listening. I hope they are listening, <laughs> but the people that don't set their lineups in the, in the home league, I'm like, really, you only have to look at it just a few times. You don't have to like constantly be looking at it. It shouldn't, I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's happened to me before when you're trying to juggle yeah. 30 oh, leagues at many. once. It's yeah. tough. Yeah. Especially when you go home over the holidays and you're spending time with your family and, it, it can get tough. I, I I was I was kicking myself last year um, when I went home for Christmas. I had a few lineups that I thought I had set, and I didn't. Mm -hmm. And I, I I'm yeah. just, just shame. You know, it's it's my job. I'm supposed to be doing this, <laughs> right? Especially when well, I mean, I I get that because I'll be like, I looked at my lineups a hundred times. How did yeah, I miss like, that? How did that guy? happen? <laughs> so I don't mm -hmm. know. I but I I totally get that. I totally feel that. Um, when okay, because we're talking about setting lineups and apps and everything. When let's go back to I just want to because I wanted to touch on this earlier, actually, that you were talking about when you first started playing and then how you guys started. You said Yahoo, right? Was the first. OK, Correct. so on the Internet, the Internet, um, how was that transition for all those guys to move from what they were doing to this new world? Because, I mean, of course, the Internet was new. So, I mean, it was different for everybody. But how about those guys specifically? Well, I don't think they liked it too much because they got, you know, <laughs> some little eight-year-old came in and snagged up all their players off, off the waiver wire during my week. So, um, yeah, I think that they all struggled They're with like... it a little bit. But that was me stepping into a league with a bunch of, you know, middle-aged guys who had been playing in this league for multiple years already. And then me just being a little kid who knew how to work his way around a computer and snagging up all those free agents off the waiver wire. So I think for them, it was a struggle. But let's be honest, back in the, the late 90s, I think everybody was struggling with anything yeah. on the internet. I mean, we were downloading crazy stuff off a of LimeWire by accident. I mean, the, oh my gosh, the, the yes. kids, kids that are born today have no idea what the early no days idea. of the internet looked like, but it was a wild time. Oh man, it sure was. I never, again, I really wish that I had been a part of it when it first started with the fantasy football aspect of everything, because 
late in life fantasy footballer here. Uh, <laughs> and and I, I was an ESPN truther for the longest time. All of my home leagues were always through yeah. ESPN. You know, the leagues my that I'd set up in are... high school were always ESPN. Finally convinced my home league two years ago to make the switch to sleeper. And they love yeah. it. They love it so much. I'm so happy that we were able to get that. Yeah. See, I, and that's hilarious because, so we were like, cause we use ESPN for our home league and they don't have a draft board. And it's like, it really hard when you're doing a live draft to like we usually do the stickers but this year we were since there weren't enough people to come you know or they had to you know we had three or four people that had to be um video chatting and you know so I, we were gonna go, go to sleeper and one person's like if you switch to sleeper i'm quitting and i'm like i don't understand nobody ever says that <laughs> so i'm like okay i don't know what we're gonna do so we're still on espn but whatever it works and one of these knock years. on wood <laughs> we'll figure it out i don't know but at least i'm not going to be like okay actually who wants to do this by hand can you imagine um where you would be right now if uh everything was still done the way that it was when you first got into it <laughs> i mean you and i wouldn't be having this conversation right now i'd, nope. I'd be you know driving to knoxville tennessee trying to knock on joe Bryan's door and asking if i can get an article published in his magazine it would be a very very different world <laughs> <laughs> i forgot joe's from knoxville because that's where my sister lives too so i'm like why are you going to knoxville see my sister <laughs> how do you know her oh uh, you know talking to you you're, you're like a really down-to-earth guy and i don't want to give you too big of an ego or anything but like ha being able to have a conversation with you and you're just a normal down-to-earth guy um is there any misconceptions that people will have about you uh i don't know i feel like nobody <laughs> <laughs> i don't think anybody has a proper you know conception of anybody on twitter That's if we're being very honest. accurate very accurate yeah and, and, you know, I, I'm glad that you said that, Casey. Thank you very much. Um, and, and I've had a lot of people say that. Um, yeah. You know, I'll, uh, I'm only going to mention it because I know he wouldn't care. But Todd from PA, um, I'm not sure if you're mm -hmm. familiar with him. He does some great best ball work. And mm -hmm. he was somebody who would chirp at me on Twitter all the time and, you know, say some not so nice things. And then um, one day I, I was just like, Todd, what's going on, man? Like, I, I never did anything rude to you. Like, why do you like this? And then he invited me on his show and he totally yeah. set the show up where it was going to be this gotcha moment where he wanted to, you know, tell me everything that I had done wrong and pull up old tweets and say, what were you thinking here? And, you know, put me on blast for the DeAndre Swift tweet a while back. And then about 30 minutes into the show, he just said, you know what? I'm just ripping up the show sheet I had. I am sorry. I completely had you pegged <laughs> wrong. And I think that just happens. Um, it does. It really does. It's, it is hard, like you said. I mean, Twitter is only so much that you can see. You, that's why I was the other day I was like, I would follow more people, but I'm always scared I'm going to follow the wrong person. Something's going to come out about a person. And then you're going to be like, you're going to be like, you followed that person. You should know better. It was like, how do I know better? I only know what I'm seeing on the internet. And, you know, I, I think with Twitter, especially for the people that have risen very quickly and, you know, the, the people, you know, the other quarantine creators, I could say, and there's some <laughs> people that are good at marketing themselves. Um, you know, Josh Larkey is a guy who has become a very good friend of mine. As a matter of fact, I'm actually waking up at 4.30 in the morning tomorrow, and Josh Larkey and I are going into Rocky Mountain National Park and climbing a mountain together. We've become great oh, wow. friends over the years. But hey. he's another guy like me who has grown very quickly in this space and, you know, quickly got a full-time job. And, you know, he is another very down-to-earth, super nice, genuine guy but I think, you know, me and Larky and Jeff Bell's another person that I'll kind of throw into that bucket have grown quickly. And when you do that, you have to kind of 
you have to self-promote. And I don't think that there's any way that you can really self-promote without coming off as arrogant. So I think that everybody kind of has this mm -hmm. conception that these newer people that are growing quickly are very arrogant and that we have these huge egos. And I don't think that's the case. I mean, even me, I have to do a lot of self-promotion and put my own right. videos out there and, you know, highlight some of my wins to make it look like I'm doing a good job. And I can understand how that comes <laughs> off as braggadocious or that I have a big yeah. ego. And that's not the case at all. I'm just trying to grow and I have to put my yeah. content out there. And I even feel a little bit dirty and slimy when I do it myself, but it's just the nature of the business. You know, mm -hmm. I can't, if I sit here and, you know, spend all this time writing an article and then don't promote it, or I spend all this time on a show and I don't promote it, what's the point of doing it? Self-promotion is not something that anybody's comfortable with because it makes you look arrogant and it makes you look conceited. Yeah. If you want to grow in this space, unfortunately, it's just kind of something that you have to get used to doing. Right. Yeah. I mean, every time I try to promote this podcast or anything, I always feel a little dirty pressing tweet because it's like, I know. you know, I, I want to get my work out there and I want more people because we like you like you said about how many hours of extra work you're putting in that people don't see, like that is the reward is to know that, that people are taking your content in. And the only way they're going to be able to take your content in is to see it on their feed. So and, I totally get and I'll that. Just say, like, like we talked about this in can, you know, we're all just nerds who love football. And I think that right. that is a great denominator that can really bring us all together. And, and you look back at like Twitter beefs, are so silly to me that like people <laughs> beef with each other on Twitter. And, and, you know, I've gotten to the point where it's just not worth my time anymore. Like I said, I just mute people. Like if you're going to bring yeah. negative energy to my day, I'm just going to mute you. And that's the end of it. And that, that's how right. it is. And I had somebody who I used to go back and forth with a lot on Twitter and we would butt heads and, you know, it's on a public show where everybody can see it on Twitter and um, was lucky enough to meet this gentleman in Canton. And within three seconds, like we made eye contact with each other and we could tell both of us wanted to apologize. And we both <laughs> just said, we don't have to apologize. This is stupid. Let's go grab a right. drink. And we talked through it. And he's somebody that, you know, we've, we've refollowed each other and have connected ever since. And we get along well and we DM each other and we talk through takes. And I had him pegged completely wrong. He had me pegged yeah. completely wrong. But you build up this idea of who people are based yes. off of these minute interactions on Twitter that are limited to 280 characters, which are no representation of what a person actually is. So that's why right. I think these types of shows, like what you're doing and like the show that I did with Todd from PA and what, uh, you know, Nick Urcolano has done with the behind the business. When you get people on mm -hmm. a show and they're willing to talk about things besides fantasy football and you can actually let their personalities out. I think right. those, the, the, these types of shows are so important. So I, I love that you're doing this. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, for real though that is that is very important because you know there are people that i was kind of like i don't know you know they, they seem like they're larger than life or whatever or they seem like you know they they don't talk they're not gonna you know and then asking somebody to come on my podcast that has you know millions and millions you know or even thousands and thousands of followers and to have somebody say yes and then that's just like such a great reward and then to get to like actually know those people and see that they're down to earth like talking to you. I mean, I already knew you were down to earth based on what you were presenting. So at least like what you put out there is what, who you are, but you know, a lot of these people, you, you only know them for their stats and, and you know, the work that they do, but you don't know them personally. So that's why I want to do this and to be able to talk to somebody like you and kind of get like a behind the scenes thing. I know that that helps other people because it helps me. Yeah. Yeah. And, I, 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 this is a great <laughs> show. I love that you're doing this. It, it, it makes it, it, it's, it's a lot of fun. And yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, you have some people that, 
you know, wear their personalities as loud as possible on Twitter. And then you have yeah. other people that just only stick to stats and data and they won't talk yeah. about anything outside of that. <laughs> and I, I, I like to have a little bit of a balance. You know, I want to stay on topic, but I also like to let a little bit of my personality show through from time to time. And um, the, the one other thing I'll say, and this is, you know, a very tough subject to talk about because it can come across as, uh, you know, just just not all that great. But, you know, there is a layer of jealousy in this industry, and it's something that not a lot of people are willing to talk about. But, you know, when I have a big guest on my show or when I have, you know, somebody interacting with me that has millions of followers, like you said, you know, that can rub people the wrong way. And I don't even think people consciously realize that, that there yeah. is this sort of layer of jealousy. You know, why is this person growing quicker than me? Why is this person getting a job and I'm not? Why is this person going on their show, but he won't come on my show? And I think that's something where a lot of people don't even have, you know, they, they can't even grasp it. And I know that I felt that before, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm growing quickly in the space and I'm getting opportunities, but I still see people that are growing quicker than me. And I have those feelings of doubt. What am I doing wrong? Why yeah. is this person growing faster than me? But I always try to look internally and say, all right, yes, this person is growing faster than me, but they haven't done anything wrong. They're just working harder than me and they're putting out better content than me and they're deserving what they get. And I try to make sure that I'm not soiling relationships with other people based on issues that I'm having. Right. No, and I get that. You know, I, I've I've been there where I'm like, oh, I'm putting all of this work in and like, what, you know, what am I doing wrong? Right. And you feel like, okay, like, why is this person able to do the same exact thing that I'm doing? And, you know, and this, that, and the other. And then once you let kind of like what I've done is just kind of just like, I'm just taking it day by day and just having fun with this. I'm not even putting out, this is the kind of content I want to put out. And when you find content you want to put out, then like, that's the best thing, best feeling in the world. So to be able to talk to people was something that I'm really happy to be able to do. And, and in such a hyper competitive industry, Twitter is essentially a leaderboard and and it's not real i mean it's very <laughs> fake and superficial but it is frustrating when you can see everybody's follower counts are public exactly yeah. how many likes somebody's getting on a tweet are public exactly how many retweets everybody's getting and when you can see all of that information publicly it starts to just put these seeds of doubt in your head when you see mm -hmm. other people doing better than you and it's just you know it, it I feel like we're getting off of fantasy football now at this point, just talking about society as a whole. I mean, it's really, really <laughs> it, it's, it's tough. And especially in an in industry where it is very oversaturated with a lot of people that are trying to make it, it right. is frustrating when you see other people that are getting bigger opportunities than you and growing faster than you. And I, I think the most important thing to realize is just that if you're starting to have, you know, negative thoughts about somebody who's growing quickly in the space, the reality is, probably that your perception of that person has changed more than that person has actually changed. I like that. Hey, that's good. advice. I was going to say, make friends with them so you can, you know, piggyback off of their followers, but I'm just kidding. I cannot tell you how many people I've been connected with since, you know, when I say day one, day one for me is the 2020 off season when I mm -hmm. first got into this. And people that, you know, I would regularly talk to and that I've collaborated with and then just out of nowhere, they will turn against me. And I'm not saying that dramatically, <laughs> like literally people that I consider to be dun, friends. Dun, dun, dun. And then one day they start <laughs> taking shots at me on Twitter and I'm like, where the heck did this come from? And then a couple months later, I'm unfollowed. And then a couple months later, I'm blocked. And I'm just like, I haven't had any negative interactions with this person. And we went from being friends to what they perceived to be enemies. And I could not tell you and why. And it happens frequently like way more yeah. frequently than i'd like to admit you know 
no, I get, or I'll, I'll be scrolling through and I'm like, why can't I see this person's reply? And it's because they blocked me. And I'm like, I've never even talked to this person. That means that they just don't like me. <laughs> so, yeah. It happens. And that's, you know what? That's the internet for you. Um, yep. You know, the kids that have to deal with this now, the stuff that we had to deal with back in MySpace days, that's, you know. <laughs> can can you, you imagine, imagine fantasy? In the top eight? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, can you imagine fantasy MySpace? Yeah, oh, my thing. goodness. <laughs> oh, man. You fill out these little surveys like, who's your favorite player? Who's your favorite team? And then you send it up, you know, all that stuff. But um, so before we wrap everything up, I, I wanted to touch on this because it's, you know, as the season progresses, people stop getting as excited, it feels like to me, as they were when the Scott Fishbowl draft first started. But Scott Fishbowl, are you a part of the Scott Fishbowl? I am. This is my second year doing it, and I'm off to a pretty nice start. Don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, but uh, <laughs> getting Jalen Hurts, A.J. Brown, and Devonta Smith all on the same team oh, was wow. a lot of fun. Yeah, that's, that. a, that's a humble brag if I ever heard one right there. <laughs> I'm jealous of you. I, yeah. Uh. <laughs> so we actually This year for Scott Fishbowl, obviously the theme was, you know, locations, cities, right. whatever it was. And um, I reached out to Scott. Scott, somebody who has been, you know, just a huge advocate for me for a long time. Somebody that I consider a dear friend, just a mm -hmm. great, great guy. And um, I reached out to Scott and I said, hey, Scott, so where's where, where you know, I, I got an email saying that this is going to be on uh, my fantasy league. I thought that it was going to be on Sleeper this year. And he says, ah, Sleeper is only for the live drafts. So I went through. I reached out to every single person that was in my conference. And I said, we were all in Denver. There was one person that wasn't from Denver for some reason that was in the Denver division. And I said, Scott, you got to boot this guy. We're going to pull somebody else from Denver. And we put together a live draft on the oh, wow. in a matter of a week. Cool. So once we scheduled that live draft, we went to a brewery. We all got together for it. And Scott almost didn't believe me when I told him that we had set up a live draft. And I said, we did. And we're all going to be together for it in real life. So then he switched our league over to Sleeper. So we weren't a technical, like we weren't one of the official live drafts. But we got to host our league on Sleeper, and then we even got a T-shirt made for the SFB oh, 12 wow. Denver division. So we got our T-shirts, and we're on Sleeper, and I'm a happy man because of it. <laughs> <laughs> Dallas, listen up. Okay, that's what should have happened. We were talking about that. We were like, oh, we should have. Why well, didn't we? And nobody really wanted to be in charge of getting it all put together. So we just, well, whatever. <laughs> you know, I, I see like the Chicago, where there were like multiple Chicago divisions, and they all got yeah. together. I don't know how, because trying to get 12 people together for anything in today's day and age, I mean, it yeah. was hurting cats. The fact that we were able to do it was unbelievable. And it was, it was so fun, you know, just getting to meet yes. everybody. It was, you know, my wife was there and then, uh, Nate and Jen Polvoat, um, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. familiar with them, I am. married couple, they live in Denver. So they were both there as well. And then, you know, a mix of fans and analysts and just fantasy players. It was really, really fun getting together. And I feel like that added such a fun layer to our division now because you know i was in sfb last year and we had our group chat mm -hmm. going and we would right. talk and have fun and you know a little smack talk here and there but knowing that this group all got together for a draft it just adds so much fun to it that's what i'm jealous of that I, i'm not follower counts not you know <laughs> likes i'm jealous that you guys got to do a live draft so um yeah not even fair but it, it is so fun to be able to get together with people that are in the, the space and one-on-one, -on -one, two on two, you know, like just be face to face and, and be, you know, able to talk to, cause it's totally different. Like you said, it's totally different. And that is, I'm sorry. I'm just like so jealous right now. Yeah. Everybody well, like, <laughs> I, I will make a PSA on your show. If anybody is ever out in Colorado, 
hit me a DM and I will meet up with you. I have met up with so many people just for yeah. a beer or, you know, a quick bite to eat, whatever it may be. Um, it, it has been some people who are just, you know, random people that follow me that wanted to get mm -hmm. together for a drink. And then I've had the luxury of meeting a bunch of huge analysts. And like I said, you know, Josh Larkey lives out here now and we've become yeah. friends. And, um, you know, I think that it's so important to get to meet people in the space. You know, we talked about Nate and Jen Polvote. I've gotten together with mm -hmm. them countless times. And, you know, my wife and I consider them to be good family friends at this point. So if you're listening to the show and you are ever rolling through Denver, shoot me a DM. Be more than happy to get together and grab a drink with you. That's a place that's that's a place I want to go is Denver. So if I'm ever there, I'm definitely going to hit you up. There you go. And, and the same goes for everybody in Dallas. If you come to Dallas, say what's up, because, you know, more than likely my old ass will find a way to get out to wherever <laughs> you are. <laughs> um, you know, I had such a great time talking with you, Dave. Oh, I, one one last thing. How often do people mispronounce your last name? Always. I, I don't even correct people anymore. I don't even know if you know how to say it. If you introduce me as Dave Kludge or Kludgy, whatever it was, Kluge? I would just not inspire. It is Kluge. Yeah, you okay. got it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, it's because yeah, I was practicing. No, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> I get it wrong my entire life. When when I proposed to my wife, I told her, I said, get you know ready for a lifetime of people never being able to say your name correctly again. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dave Kluge, can you go ahead and um, let everyone who's listening know where they can find you and where all your stuff is? Yeah, real simply, you can just follow me on Twitter at Dave Kluge, that's K-L-U-G-E, and then all of my written and video content can be found over at footballguys.com and youtube.com slash footballguys. Um, you know, I, I don't know if I said it before we started recording or on the show, but I have been a Football Guys subscriber since well before I was ever working there. They just put out phenomenal content. Sigmund Bloom, Joe Bryant, Matt Waldman, Cecil Lammy, I mean, just some of the best of the best in the industry. So I am honored to be a part of that team, and you can find all my content there excellent well again i appreciate you coming on to the show and talking with me because i had such a blast um, me too thanks casey no problem no problem everybody make sure that you know you go check out all of dave's stuff and you go follow him on twitter and also make sure that you come back next time whatever next time is but make sure you come back next time for another episode of get real with casey Kasem, and make sure to remember to stay rad They always say, oh my goodness, that's that's your real voice.